right. We are grooving around the table to that yeah. wonderful intro music. <laughs> yeah. It's waking us up on a Monday. Right. Yeah. Uh, and welcome to the Fear and Trembling podcast. Um, I am Aaron Vanderveen. I'm the uh, campus pastor at Watershed here at Heart of Wake. Next to me, I have Bill. I am Bill Linder, campus pastor at Celebration. I'm J.B. Wernland. Ooh. Campus pastor fusion. We were doing last names, so oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. you want me to spell yeah. mine? Hey, yeah. I'm Darwin. I'm the executive pastor. <laughs> Darwin's like, I'm not giving you my last name. Yeah, you can, get yeah. Away you with can find it on the wants. internet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in enough places already. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are uh, diving in today to Victor Frankel's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, this was mm. in our series of each of us have kind of had a book that's mm-hmm. impacted our lives in different ways. We're coming up to the last of us uh, yeah. who who brought a book, and, and it's Darwin. So, Darwin, I'm just going to hand it off to you. Take Sweet. it away. Thanks. Hey. Here we go. I'm glad we're discussing this book, one of my favorite books of all time. And um, I say that even after having reread it in preparation oh. for, <laughs> Congratulations. for this podcast. So, <laughs> so that's exciting. Um, it's stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, um, has somehow become a popular self-help book in our culture. <laughs> um, that's not what it was intended to be not by the author. Um, it's actually a, a really unique book um, in the sense that it is a memoir of his Correct. time in the concentration camps during the Second World War um, as a psychoanalyst. And in the memoir, he develops his psychological theory called logotherapy, which was in development before he went into the concentration camp. Yes, he went into the concentration camp with significant background. Ba- background. Yeah, and this is kind of how his um, ideas and thoughts um, actually helped him navigate the concentration camp. And, this, and he tells a lot, of, a lot of stories to illustrate that well. But then how, um, how that – Theory continues to develop, which is called logotherapy, once he leaves, um, is out of the concentration camp. And how it helps him to get it, reorient himself um, after that. There's a couple of things that I, w- I want to point about it, out about this before we dive into it, because I think they're really important. Um, I think, number one, um, Frankel's theory of logotherapy is very much grounded in the idea that people are responsible. Um, personal responsibility. And I have to confess, yeah. when I read the Genesis account, Genesis 1 and 2, one of the things that differentiates us um, from the an- other animals is that we are responsible creatures. Mm-hmm. And that, that personal responsibility differentiates us is what makes us unique as human beings. Part of the image of God, shall Part we say? Part of the image of God. Sure. And, and even in our contemporary culture, it seems like responsibility is something we want to push away, we want to shy away from. Um, logotherapy actually invites us to live into it, okay? And we can talk about his idea of whether um, – about the imminent frame and the role of God and all this. But again, very much just personal responsibility. The second thing about um, Man's Search for Meaning and, and his view of logotherapy is um, it doesn't discount the past, but it's definitely future-oriented, in other words, Correct. here's a situation in which you find yourself. How are you going to find meaning? How are you going to find significance? How are you going to chart a course forward into the type of person you want to be? Um, recognizing that there may be some things that have to be dealt with in our past, but the focus is not on the past. Those experiences have happened. You've made sense of them. You've navigated them. Um, there's no sense to go back there and I want to say wallow in it, but I'll say dwell. Um, <laughs> okay. Dwell in it. Um, but it's very future-oriented. 
And so as he um, as he moves forward, I think he really challenges us to think about some things. Again, I want to note he's uh, from my perspective, he functions very much in the imminent frame. There's no discussion yes. much of. God, except in a vague way. There's no Holy Spirit. He's a Jewish author. I'm not going to discount that. But he functions very much within the context of a person's situation. And One quick one yeah. question, just for the benefit of our listener. Um, logotherapy, where does that word come <laughs> from? Because I think, um, anyway, I mean, it's the Greek word logos. Yeah, but it, com- it, com- it comes from the Greek word logos, and it, it's this idea of purpose, of purpose, right? of yeah. purpose and meaning. I just, Finding purpose in me. That might be a, a strange word for some. And so I just thought, really? Well, well, okay. <laughs> I never heard logotherapy before. Yes, Darwin. For <laughs> <some>. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think, again, it's, it's we're kind of purpose driven. The two other Viennese yeah. schools of Freud and Adler were used to. Right. This is a, a, a school that has not um, been as prominent in the psychotherapy world. Um, at least in what I've been taught and, and my experiences over Yeah, years. it's much less. I, I did some looking. Where would you go for logotherapy? And there are places, yeah. two places in the United States, as I recall. In that way, it's much more limited in availability right. and impact. But it does connect with cognitive behavior therapy the and other things, things that yeah. it, it will connect with. Connect with. So. Well, and I would say in, in your – conversation about the fact that he deals with the imminent, um, you know, this tangible, the material, like I, I would think as I read, especially the first part, um, because I'd say the first part was more the memoir. The second part is more than the psych, you know, the, of flushing out of logotherapy technically. Um, but I think he, he, he almost has an assumption of the transcendent of right. God, right? Where it's it's there, it's in, it's mixed in, but it's it's one of those things. If you if you read it, and especially, man, it, look around at culture. JB and I were talking about this last yeah. week, just even in people's tweets and mm-hmm. things like that. Of like, our culture doesn't read well. <laughs> <laughs> no, right? So easy to jump to section two, make it all personal. You know, like right. Uh, Totally disassociate it from the actual context. And when he does talk about spiritual, like about God, about yeah. your freedom, your spiritual freedom, right? Like that, those are huge assumptions that, today, right? You know, or that he makes then. I would say, I, I appreciate what you say. I would say he's got a residue yeah. of transcendence right. and that he can fill in whatever the person's sense of transcends it is. And so it's an imminent coming to transcend it. He talks about if you have religious background, well, you can touch those spiritual resources, but it's not like they're real or there. It, there's a residue of it, it yeah. felt like for me. Yeah. And now where there's even less residue, that's yeah. how it ends up showing up yeah. on Real Housewives and, and oh. crazy places like that. I'm sorry. Bill watches Real Housewives. Housewives. Hey. <laughs> it, it, it's a cultural study for me. <laughs> hey, um, so let me let me be, let me um, begin this way with this question because I, I think this is a fun one. Um, it's something that doesn't happen anymore. Um, but it, I'm old enough to remember when coffee shops first became um, popular, and you could actually go to a coffee shop and read a novel or read a book. And you could turn to the person to the table next to you and say, hey, what are you reading? Or that looks like an interesting title. Yeah. And they would turn to you and say, yeah, here, this is what it's about. And you could have an ensuing conversation. Now, of course, you 
just don't do that. It's just social inappropriate. Oh, and it's socially inappropriate. Yeah. But I'm kind of curious if you were if don't talk to, to strangers. What? Right. <laughs> yeah. Stranger exactly. danger. Stranger danger. <laughs> They're yeah, in the coffee shop. Yeah. If you um, if someone came up to you and said, "Hey, what are you reading?" How would you describe um, this book um, in one sentence to a random person? How far along am I in the book? <laughs> oh, we'll give you halfway. Yeah. I I think I would try to say in one sentence, it's how a man who had no external freedom found inner freedom. Okay. So it was navigating a hard, a brutal, terrible right. external circumstance through inner strength and reality. That That's okay. how I think I'd go with it. I feel like if I was in that first section, kind of, yeah, how how a man endured, survived life in a concentration camp yeah. or, or lack of life, you know. I, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go a, a psychologist, you know, <laughs> uh, who who was in in a concentration camp, survived and reflects mm-hmm. on, on what does it take? What did it take? Um, how did – how does – how does humanity get to that spot? I know it's getting longer than a sentence now, but <laughs> yeah. but just you know, how does humanity get to the spot for where concentration camps are actually real, you know, and people work in them um, on top of surviving in them? You so. know, yeah. I mean, I think that as I read through the book and as I think about it sometimes, it often strikes me that um, what you just said there, Aaron, is is pretty amazing to me that concentration camps were actually real and people thought they were okay, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that. Um, how um, how it's possible to have our view of life and of meaning and of purpose um, distorted in such a way that it it destroys rather than brings life. Yeah. So. Well, I, in some ways, I think it's fitting. Um, today we're recording on Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Day, right? Mm-hmm. And anytime we can dehumanize right someone or you know and cre- make them something, right. Well, sudden, I mean, that'd be, yeah. that'd be a fun rabbit trail right now to go down the toxic yeah. culture, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> right, right. Um, so lead I'm, us away. Lead okay, us away. Okay, okay, <laughs> so I want to um, – one of my favorite quotes um, from this book, and there's a couple of them, um, but one of my favorite quotes um, is the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way um, – um, is it something that has always struck me as very, being very powerful? In other words, when he writes, um, the last of human freedoms, the last, is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Um, that, that was pretty life-transforming for me. Sure. Uh, because as I, as I read through it, what struck me is I don't have to be reactionary. Right. It goes back to what you said about responsibility. Yeah. That ultimately I am responsible. No matter what happens to me, I'm ultimately responsible for the choices I do make within those, within right. that space. In that space. And that's a, I, I know uh, when I pursued something called nonviolent communication, right. um, kind of changed at the seminary to compassionate communication. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, nonviolent smacked me upside the head because I need to be a little less violent, aggressive. Yeah. Um, but that was probably one of the most transformational things I learned mm-hmm. was no matter what, I am responsible for, for my 
my behaviors, who I am, what I think, what I will choose in the midst, even though it seems like every choice may be taken away. Right. I still, and I, so I completely resonate with you on that of when he said that, I was like, yeah. And it was, it was for me personally, I mean, making it through the whole first section of the book, you know, it's like you read four pages and then I'm in tears and I got to grab a you know, tissue and I got to take a breather. Or, right. <laughs> um, but I think that was one of those pieces that personally I was just really aff- affirmed again of, yeah, we don't have to be defined by our circumstances. Right. We still, and, and doesn't he, he call it a spiritual freedom? Yeah. Too. He goes I mean, spiritual freedom. Yeah. That yeah. it's, again, I think that's, that's super, there's that, there's something that there. echo of yeah, God there's that, space. Yeah. That, yeah. Echo. that goes, you can't get there if you're God so little G, your God right. in life isn't big enough, right? Um, so, so the interesting thing is, is in our culture, every action is met with a more intense reaction. Yeah, yeah. And and so our culture, to be honest with you, doesn't know to do with the person who, when you become confrontational with them, you step back. Not that you don't want to have the conflict. But you step back so that you can actually respond responsibly to the situation rather than just merely react to it. Right. Someone who wants to engage helpfully rather than engage angrily. Angrily. You know, the peacekeeper, the peacemaker. Yeah. I was Uh, just thinking about how that quote just hits at so many different levels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, When I think about, like, just my kids, like, something – that's something I'm trying to instill in them because – brother does this, I, you know, sister reacts this way. It's like, well, you can, you know, they can't make you do anything or they can't make you react that way. Um, But then all of a sudden you take it to the level of a concentration camp or a situation where every other freedom that you have has been stripped away. And that's where he's saying like this, the last, the last, the the very last, last. the last freedom. They can't take that away from you. You get to choose how you're going to respond. Even in that and uh, that one just gives me pause because, I mean, I've not obviously been anywhere close to that kind of situation, but um, it just hits at so many levels, you know. Right, and when he recounts, I mean, just them coming in and being stripped completely naked, you yeah. know, to be there. And, I mean, that alone, and, and you just, if you stop long enough to process it, right? Yeah. And he had his manuscript take, you know, Part yeah. of what is some of his, his life's, life's work, work right? And yeah, stri- burned, and then they're talking about the the gas rising from the chambers, and going, yeah, that that's yeah, that's people, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. just and here, I mean that that's when you know maybe this is maybe this is a little bit more than just a, a nice make you feel good message of yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is tried true tested yeah it's power from a different source in a situation where it just systematically designed to rob you of all power mm-hmm. right yeah yeah so yeah. i you know one thing that that i also really like about um the book when i first read it is his use of nietzsche now <laughs> I, I i have to confess um i had i read nietzsche in college um, that was in the last century, and um, <laughs> and Nietzsche and where I went to school um, at, at Taylor was portrayed as the Ooh. atheistic boogeyman. <laughs> okay, um, and then when I encountered Nietzsche in in here and began to understand a little bit 
more fully what Nietzsche was trying to do, where Nietzsche yeah. was basically trying to say, okay, if you want to kill God, kill him. But here's what life looks like without, without God. Without God, yeah. Right. And um, if you read Nietzsche with that in mind, and I would encourage everybody to read Nietzsche with that in mind, um, the picture that he paints is not very pretty. It almost looks like a concentration camp. It almost looks like a concentration yeah. camp. Yeah. So, but he quotes, he quotes Nietzsche um, several times in the book. And one of those quotes is this. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. And then goes on to observe, it does not really matter what we expect from life, but rather what life expects from us. And my question is, is this even possible in, in a culture of expressive individualism? Yes, if, if, if your worldview, you, right. you know, the narrative, how you see life, if expressive individualism isn't your Right. right. Your story. Right. Right. So if well, you step out of expressive individualism. Right. If you see yeah. yourself as a part of a bigger yeah, story, story. Um, without it, if you're an expressive individualist, then no. Um, because you're always in search for the why. Right. And that search, I, I think, this is just my opinion, becomes so overwhelming. And will mm -hmm. you reach that point of why search anymore? Mm. Because you, right. if you don't find something bigger than yourself, you being the end, it's it, it's you, we weren't created to be sinful human beings. We weren't right. created for brokenness. We weren't <laughs> created, and so if we are our end, the path leads us back to sin, lifelessness, brokenness, yeah. emptiness, hopelessness. Uh, whether and again, somebody. If folks listening, try it. Go for it. Yeah. And and it's not me trying to go, hope oh, be arrogant or anything like that. It's going, no. I mean, this is the reality of the God we serve. We were created by him, for him, through him, right? I, that mm -hmm. that meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. And you see life differently as well. It, yeah. that, and when the why for my life is is a gift of God, then when I get the Y wrong, the W-H-Y, when yep. I get that wrong, I'm actually drawing closer to understanding it better. But when yep. I have to make yep. the Y True. and I get it wrong, all is lost. Right. I, I'm, I'm growing in my understanding of why I exist, and so then I can face any how that I need to face when there's something greater than me to grow in and understand. But when I have to define that, if I get it wrong, bad news. I may start over, but how many times can you start over in a life? Yeah. Um, sure. So it, it is hard for the expressive individualism where it's left to us to determine and and establish you know just what is truth and meaning in life. I, I'm my my mind is just working because I'm that which is good you know that yeah. it's working. <laughs> that is good. Have some more coffee in general. <laughs> but like the wheels are turning because I think the the statement's true that we all need a why though. Right. Yeah. So then absolutely. So then my, my my what I'm pondering is so what is the why that people are finding. Um, apart from God or as in this expressive individual? Because, I mean, people are, are searching for and maybe having a hard time, but there are some who are who have discovered or found some sort of why that they're living for, at least 
right now. That's where that's where my oh, yeah. you know, well, and, and I'm I, like, well, what what are those whys? And I think going back to the story here, where again, I I saw some of the spiritual his his belief in God is as he thought of his wife, thought of that love, mm-hmm. that love for him all of a sudden became anchored in a more deeper, fuller yeah. love in God. Mm-hmm. Like so, right. even <laughs> yes. like it, it, there's this robust, yeah. you know, in. And can there be a why? You know, so, I, sh- so I, like one, so I, some examples like living for other people. You know, um, yep. like living for your family or your kids, or, or even I think people going on like 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 social justice be kind kind of can become that that why for people. Maybe I'm just trying to think. Oh, you know, and so yeah, I, I so think you're right. Find, I think you're, people yeah. are searching or find trying to find a why, even right. if they don't believe in God or right. They'll they'll find a yep. why, but a lot of those whys are very transient. They'll yeah. jump from oh, yeah. one thing to the next thing. This met, this didn't. Um, and I think going back to, to what Aaron was saying earlier, um, in the gospel we become part, that YB is is shaped and informed by the transcendent story we're a part of and yeah. working out God's oh, yeah. kingdom. A God who, who calls us. A God who calls us. But the, everyone has a why, mm-hmm. whether they can explain it or not, they're making mm-hmm. decisions based on, right. on some end. And right. sometimes that why, let's face it, is not real healthy. I had a why for life when I was 14. Yep. It was football and cheerleaders. And boy, that broke up one day with right. an injury. And, and so we pursue all sorts of whys. I, I get that. But sometimes the whys just don't have the power to really make sense of all of life. And don't the no. whys eventually, they will fail. Yeah. And, yes. they, and they need to fail for us to actually find. Right. Yeah. And, and again, I think some of those, JB, to what you're saying is some of those whys are, are right, are good. Um, but when they're not but, and when they're deeply rooted in the bigger, the capital W-Y, <laughs> you know, yeah. then it, it can sustain it. Right. Right. Yeah. He, uh, he had a great passage and he illustrated with several things, not all of which we'll talk about, but he talked about how when things become an end in themselves, right. they just can't uh, work for life. But as a result, and one of those was be happy. He said, yeah. if you make be happy your goal, You'll never mm-hmm. be happy. If you make Don't laugh worry, be happy. your goal, it'll be hard to laugh. Laugh right yeah. now. Laugh yeah. right now. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm trying to make a point. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, right. But if somebody tells a joke, right. a then a, a yeah. laugh is a response. And so much of the good things we try to make out to be the central why for our right. life are better responses to something right. even bigger. Bigger, yeah. And I thought he was great with that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so great. Good discussion here. Um, one of the other quotes that he does from Nietzsche, um, which is a great one, um, that which does not kill me makes me stronger. Doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. Um, Tish Harrison in a prayer. Too many close calls. Tish Harrison in a, in a prayer. Tish Harrison in a prayer of night, which we read um, early on, um, observes this about that quote. Um, number one, she disagrees. Um, <laughs> But number two, she says, um, that which does not kill me should make us more dependent on our creator. And she's writing as a Christian, as an Anglican priest. Um, And and I've been thinking about that a lot because it really struck me when she said that. Um, And how does that help us develop a theology of suffering? 
you know, if we say that that which doesn't kill me, it it ought to make me more dependent on God. How does that help us begin to develop an authentic uh, a doctrine of suffering? That seems to actually resonate with people's experiences. Yeah, I I think this is where you see the difference between a um, a transcendent view of meaning right. and just the imminent, just the worldly. I think right. no wonder Tish uh, Harrison Warren points us in that direction. I, I think it's this this bigger thing that there is a goal that suffering has meaning because of it's it's more than just this moment. And it's it's very intriguing to me that part of the the attraction of Christianity in the first centuries was the way Christians faced suffering. Right. Um, and so there was there was just different. They they could suffer at the hands of the Roman Empire, but they did that in light of a greater truth, and and they were drawn to deeper and deeper dependence. It's the way the Chinese Church mm-hmm. is living out their faith right now. I talked about Pastor Wang Yi. Very good example, again, of uh, they can't kill him. <laughs> They're making him better because he becomes more dependent on the Father, Son, and Spirit. So I, I this to me is the difference between that transcendent and just uh, physical cause and effect, imminent sort of things. Yeah. A word that comes to my mind is redemption. Right? Uh, it is in the gospel story, God redeems even suffering, redeems yeah. brokenness, can use it for purpose, mm-hmm. that not all is lost. Satan doesn't get to win. Yeah. Though, and, though you met it for evil, Joseph would tell right, his brothers, right. God worked it for good. It's amazing. And in that, you know, I see that all through really his his journey of suffering. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't help but see Paul going, yeah, yeah. I, I'm willing to suffer along, and I count that suffering as as part of the cross, uh, you know, I'm with Jesus in His suffering, right. um, because there. And again, it goes back to this something calling us forward. Mm-hmm. Um, there, that even though I suffer, something can be something good can this can this can be a a, a soil for which life can can come, even if that suffering would mean my end. Yeah. Even. Um, yeah, and it's just a. I think for for me, what gets hard is just I've never, while I've suffered, and I appreciate how he talks about suffering like like gas, right? Right. It it, it fills whatever room, so it's never the level. Um, he while he's sitting talking about concentration camp, he never diminishes the level of suffering anyone faces, yeah. right? Because suffering in anyone's life, it was um, I think right around like. Uh, 44. He says, the suffering completely fills the human soul and conscious mind, no matter whether the suffering is great or little. Therefore, the quote size of human suffering is absolutely relative. Like, I really appreciated that. Yeah. Um, and, man, I've just never suffered to where, you know, like in perspective of things. Yeah. To go, wow. Um, and yet, yeah, God makes, redeems, makes something out of, God still wins. Um, so, right. Yeah. I found it, I also found it in that, that it's unavoidable suffering. Yeah. Yeah, that um, was very that insightful. Was, that, one. I, I found yeah. that as, mm-hmm. if it were avoidable, however, meaning 
uh, the meaningful thing to do would be to remove its cause. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but how? So we don't just how practical Does that mean I can quit going to the gym? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 particularly in, yeah, like our modern day, like, you know, to, to just step into it in order to prove a point or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't the know. victimhood. Yeah. The victim I, I sort of thing. It's like unavoidable yeah, suffering. That That's powerful. Very practical and helpful. And he also says suffering isn't necessary. However, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. it's that if if that suffering takes place. So, yeah, it's not the end of the world. It can be redeemed. And that was a very hopeful message. And honest, yeah. Yeah. So um, before I, I turned over here to JB to describe our next book, which actually has to do with suffering. Oh. Wow, Dar- Darwin, you're you're, you're transition, yeah, wow. yeah. transition <laughs> champion. I want to I want to I, I want to make a, just kind of one observation, and um, kind of personally and professionally, um, Frankel's work for me has helped me to ask better questions of people mm. in the midst of their circumstances. It's actually helped me ask better questions about myself. Yeah, why am I responding the way that I'm responding? Is it appropriate in light of who I'm becoming in Christ? Um, what kind of person do you want to be in response to this? Where are you headed? What are your priorities? Um, what are your goals um, for a person in your life? And um, I once said, and I probably shouldn't say this publicly on a podcast, um, <laughs> but but I actually share with, I, and I won't say it in the abrupt way that I share it, which is my one sentence theory of pastoral care. Um, but the I, the idea that that we all have past, and there's there's things that have shaped us and molded us. Um, but Franco invites us to consider how those things have put us on the trajectory in our lives um, to live meaningful lives. And as we talk about meaning and purpose, um, our understanding of meaning and purpose is very much shaped by the gospel. It's about finding our identity in Christ. It's about being formed into Christ, and it's about following Christ. Um, there's other things that you can, um, other ways that you can describe that. Um, but Frankel invites us out of the depth of his um, experience, which none of us here will ever be close to experiencing, to ask really good questions. And to enter into dialogue about those things mm-hmm. and what our sure. priorities are, and and so for that I find it a really helpful and redeemable book. Book, and now for some comments on our next book. <laughs> oh, JB, <laughs> thanks, darling. I was like wrestling with my own personal meaning and how I was going to respond to that. Like, <laughs> okay, well, that'll Sorry take that, us JB. into the next yeah. book, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let me shift in my like mentally. My mind is still working. This, I, this, I okay. hear those gears grinding, <laughs> yeah, yeah, JB. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, uh, our next book is uh, the book uh, "The End of the Christian Life," and I think the sub the subheading kind of really captures it. Our subtitle: "How Embracing Our Mortality Frees Us to Truly Live." It's a book by Dr. Uh, J. Todd Billings, professor at Western Theological Seminary, uh, a professor that Aaron and I both had in seminary, and um, and he writes on the end of the Christian life, and and he's written a series of books um, after he was. Uh, diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer, um, and um, just offers a perspective, finding finding meaning. Uh, this book, I, b- I believe, and I haven't read it yet, full disclosure, um, <laughs> but I've been wanting to read it, and so this okay. gives yep. a good reason. Yeah, um, it's a good reason. But just the idea that in our culture, we it's like death avoidance, right? right? Yeah. Yep. And how that is to our detriment, um, and how embracing mortality... Um, Leads to to something new and something better, and and our hope is that uh, that Dr. Billings will 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 join us. Sweet. So 
Yeah, we're in we conversation, right? We, we so. haven't uh, found a date, but uh, he's willing. So okay. hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that happens now that I shared that. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> right, all right, all right. We've built expectation. Yes. Yeah, right. Can we deliver? <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, again, we have covered today Victor Frankl's book. Man's covered. We've covered his book. We've got that all We've wrapped up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't like think so. On it. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, Man's Search for Meaning. Thanks, Darwin, uh, for no bringing this to us. Uh, I'm just looking at the over 16 million copies Happy sold. sold. Good night. Jeez. We get like 16 live stream views on a worship service. You know? there we go. <laughs> but uh, no, that's great. And then next month, again, the end of The Christian Life by J. Todd Billings. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm Aaron. I'm Bill. I'm JB. I'm Darwin. And make sure to check us out on fearandtremblingpodcast.com for more information on our future books and What's coming next? Get those views to 20, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bam. Oh, <laughs> now, peace be be with y'all. 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 <laughs> <laughs>